It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 15th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report, a last-minute agreement between Kaiser Permanente and its unionized workers has prevented today's scheduled strike of nearly 30,000 healthcare professionals. And in National Native News, a new Brookings Institution analysis shows Native communities at odds with the latest federal jobs report. An indication, reporter Robin Vincent says, that Native Americans are overlooked in national economic discussions. Then we turn to regional headlines and weather before Sierra Gold's Parks Foundation board member Sid Brown takes us for a walk in the park to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A last-minute agreement between healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente and its unionized workers has prevented a strike that was scheduled to start today. Had a walkout occurred, more than 30,000 Kaiser workers in California and other states would have been involved. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports. The unions have been bargaining with Kaiser for months over staffing shortages and proposed lower wages for future workers, known as a two-tier system, which union members vehemently opposed. Kaiser ultimately took that proposal off the table. Jane McAlevey is a senior policy fellow at the Institute on Labor and Employment Relations at UC Berkeley. She says Kaiser was in a weak position to negotiate since public sentiment is on the side of health workers during the pandemic. Any smart employer facing a strike in a health healthcare context, if they care about patient outcomes, is not going to force their dedicated longtime staff out of that facility not to picket lines. The new agreement averts disruptions at 344 Kaiser facilities and hospitals across Southern California. Union members will now vote on the tentative agreement over the next few weeks. If it's approved, the agreement will last for four years. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In Northern California, pharmacists have reached a tentative agreement with Kaiser as well, but the union representing engineers continues to negotiate, although the two sides are hopeful on reaching an agreement soon. In other news, later today, President Biden will sign his administration's $1.2 trillion infrastructure package into law. California will get tens of billions of dollars in new federal spending, money that will be used to do everything from repair crumbling roads and bridges to building out new public transportation and water systems. But as much dough as that is, and it's a lot, Californians will receive less per person in infrastructure dollars than residents of sparsely populated states. At a press conference highlighting the infrastructure package, I talked about what it will mean for the state with David S. Kim, Secretary of California's State Transportation Agency. It's a staggering sum of funding that will transform our transportation system as we know it. Why do you say that? Because a lot of people will say it's a lot of money, but it's not nearly enough to remedy California's transportation and infrastructure challenges. Well, there's never been uh, this level of investment ever before from the federal government. And not just funding, it's also policy because the bill, the infrastructure bill gets the policy right in terms of focusing on climate, equity, goods movement, supply chain resiliency, uh, transit and rail, all of the things that we need to be doing to reduce carbon emissions and have a greener, more sustainable transportation system. When can California start seeing results? Shovels going into the ground and projects starting? I think in the very, in the very near future. What does that mean? Uh, it could be sometime next year, uh, you know, less than a year. 
uh, because U.S. Department of Transportation will embark on a series of, of uh, grant competitions where we, local agencies, and many others will be able to apply for funding. They're going to get that money out the door sooner rather than later. We expect to do well in those competitions, and that will help us accelerate and advance a series of projects and improvements here in California. That again is David S. Kim, Secretary of California's State Transportation Agency. In related infrastructure news, while much of the focus has been on the massive backlog at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, residents in nearby communities are also expressing major concerns about pollution from those cargo ships. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says a new queuing system at the ports could help improve air quality. Starting on Tuesday, ships will no longer be able to anchor near the ports. They'll instead be assigned a place in the arrival queue based on their departure time from their last port of call and have to wait for an available berth approximately 150 miles off the coast. Jim McKenna is president and CEO of the Pacific Maritime Association, one of the organizations that came up with the new plan. The benefit of this new process is that vessels can slow steam and spread out across the Pacific rather than to crowd into a congested waters of Southern California while they wait a berth. McKenna says right now, many ships are speeding into the ports in an effort to unload their cargo, adding to air pollution in the area. And he says reducing emissions is not the only benefit of this new plan. The ships are much bigger than they used to be, right? So even in the Anchorage area, as you get into the winter season where weather is you know, more difficult, so to speak, higher winds and the rest, you want to space these ships out so they don't get, you know, turned or twisted into one another. And as you push them further out to sea, the same applies. They have better spacing. McKenna says he hopes this improves efficiency at the ports, but is not meant as a solution to the backlog problems. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. The San Joaquin Valley ranks worst in the nation when it comes to particulate air pollution, and environmental organizations say the Environmental Protection Agency is failing to do something about it. As Valley Public Radio's Sarith Hawk reports, the groups have filed a lawsuit hoping to force the EPA to act. The National Parks Conservation Association, Sierra Club, and Earth Justice are among the organizations accusing the EPA of violating the Clean Air Act. The act says that if state and local authorities fail to come up with a plan to reduce particle pollution, the EPA needs to take over at the federal level. Dr. Catherine Garupa-White with the Central Valley Air Quality Coalition says the San Joaquin Valley is the only part of California that has not met even the oldest 1997 standard for clean air. In 1997 is so long ago now that that we can't even say that it's a health protective standard anymore. Garupa White says continued inaction puts Central Valley residents more at risk of breathing in dangerous particulate matter, or PM 2.5. It's a very deadly pollutant, and it's unfortunately, actually the season of it is extending and getting worse because of catastrophic climate-fueled wildfires. The next deadline to meet the 1997 standard has been pushed to December 2023. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. And we'll note we requested a comment from the EPA about the lawsuit, but as of this morning, we haven't heard anything back. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. 
more at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And that is the California Report for Monday, November 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Up ahead in National Native News, a new Brookings Institution analysis shows Native communities at odds with the latest federal jobs report. Why don't federal numbers reflect Native Americans' experiences? Tribes are often overlooked when it comes to national economic discussions. Raymond Foxworth, a co-author of the report, says tribal leaders haven't been consulted about policies that affect them, and it's had a devastating impact. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Biden administration is announcing steps to protect Chaco Canyon. Tribes have cultural, historical, and spiritual ties to the area in northwest New Mexico. Tribes in New Mexico and Arizona have long advocated for protection of the sacred area from development. Congress has passed legislation to temporarily put a hold on new leasing. President Biden is announcing that the Department of the Interior is taking steps to protect Chaco Canyon and the greater connected landscape. Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs Brian Newland talked about the Interior Department's plan in a press call with reporters Sunday. In the coming weeks after the president's announcement, the Department of the Interior will begin consideration of a 20-year withdrawal of federal lands within a 12-mile radius around Chaco Culture National Historical Park. They will protect the area from new federal oil and gas leasing and development. The proposed withdrawal will not apply to individual Indian allotments or to minerals within the area owned by private, state, and tribal entities. The action will not restrict roads, water lines, and other similar developments. The Chaco Canyon announcement is part of the White House Tribal Nation Summit. Tribal leaders from across the country are taking part in the summit, which is being held virtually Monday and Tuesday. Monday's agenda is focused on policy panels on COVID-19, native education and language, and public safety. President Biden, the First Lady, and Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, are kicking off the summit. Veterans Affairs and Agriculture are also topics Monday. Tuesday will feature more policy panels and remarks from officials. The latest federal jobs report paints a picture of some economic recovery, but as the Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports, Native Americans are overlooked in national economic discussions. Nearly 40% of Native Americans saw cuts in work hours or pay over the last year. That's higher than all other racial or ethnic groups. These numbers are highlighted in a new Brookings Institution analysis. Raymond Foxworth is with First Nations Development Institute. He co-authored the report. Native Americans as a group across the country were struggling economically before the pandemic. They had lower than average median incomes, suffered from high rates of unemployment and high rates of food insecurity. Foxworth points out tribal leaders haven't been consulted about policies that affect them, and it's had a devastating impact. One solution is increasing federal support for Native communities. President Biden's relief packages have earmarked money for this, but Foxworth says given the historical underinvestment in tribal communities, there needs to be more. I'm Robin Vincent. This summer, the Coquel Indian tribe lost its chief, Don Ivey, from cancer. Now a new leader has been sworn in, as KLCC's Brian Bull reports. 
Jason Yonkers, the University of Oregon's Assistant Vice President and Advisor to the President on Sovereignty and Government-to-Government Relations, and will balance those duties as the new chief of the Coquel Tribe based in Coos Bay. Yonkers says he'll be a voting member of the Tribal Council, which has many issues to address. Global warming, because it affects the salmon, which are very precious to us, and pollution that also affects everything around us. We want our tribe and neighbors to be conscious of what took place on this landscape so that we have a historical context to learn from. Yonker was cousin to Don Ivey, who died in July after a seven-month battle with cancer. Yonker says there's no one who can fill Ivey's shoes, and he regrets the circumstances that led to him taking over as chief. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting the annual Native Cinema Showcase. 47 films representing 39 Native nations in 13 countries, available from November 12th to the 18th on demand at AmericanIndian.si.edu. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In today's regional news, the fast-moving Caldor Fire laid waste to some of the Tahoe region's favorite trails. As damage continues to be assessed, the nonprofit Tahoe Fund has launched the Caldor Trails Restoration Fund to aid in the extensive trail restoration work. Quote, the most popular mountain bike trails in the South Lake Tahoe area sustained heavy damage from the Caldor fire, including burned bridges, signs, and trail retaining structures. Between damage from the fire itself, as well as from dozers constructing suppression lines, more than 15 miles of trail suffered damage in the Tahoe Basin, said Patrick Parcel, Tahoe Area Mountain Biking Association Trails Director. Trail builders anticipate there will be increased maintenance needs on these trails over the next 10 years as trees come down and stump and root holes collapse. The Loma Rica Ranch housing development between Brunswick and Sutton Way in Grass Valley has run into some difficulties with the recent rainy weather. Late October rain caused a discharge of silt from the construction site into storm drains. As a result, the Grass Valley Department of Public Works issued a notice of violation to the Bay Area-based developer for storm drain system pollutants that violated municipal code. Grass Valley inspector Tristan Moore observed silt and muddy water leaving the construction site and entering Wolf Creek. The entire worksite was exposed soil and not protected as required. According to a report from the Central Valley Regional Water Quality Control Board, the project failed to deploy certain erosion control measures and turbid water discharged off-site in a number of locations. Loma Rica Ranch Housing Development will provide 235 homes when completed, with developers hoping to be ready for occupancy in early 2023. This from the Union of Grass Valley. As the winter holidays approach, COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing in Europe, an unwelcome reminder even thousands of miles away here in California that the pandemic is nowhere near an endpoint and that more hard times may lie ahead. 
Last week, 2 million cases were reported in the continent, the highest number of cases in a single week in the region since the pandemic started, said the Director General of the World Health Organization. Dr. John Schwartzberg, an infectious disease and public health expert at UC Berkeley, said that he fears what's happening in Europe does not bode well for California. Quote, Throughout the pandemic, Europe has been a harbinger of things to come to the U.S., including California and the Bay Area. If this pattern holds true, and I suspect it will, we should be very worried. The colder weather, more people inside, and the holidays already make the upcoming winter a precarious time, end quote. Swartzberg pointed to Germany, which has seen a dramatic spike in cases since mid-October. About 67% of Germans are fully vaccinated, according to our world and data. About 67% of Germans are fully vaccinated. California is in a similar boat. Like Germany, about 67% of Californians are fully vaccinated, according to the California Department of Public Health. While California has not yet seen a spike in cases like Germany, state data show that COVID-19 cases have started to tick upwards, even as hospitalizations and deaths in the state have stayed relatively low. This reported by the San Francisco Chronicle. And now for your regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, cloudy with a low around 46. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 62. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 34. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 44. The National Weather Service has issued a lake wind advisory, now in effect until midnight tonight, for the greater Lake Tahoe area. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, cloudy with patchy fog after 11 p.m. and a low around 52. Tomorrow, patchy fog continues until 11 a.m., then mostly cloudy, gradually becoming sunny as the day wears on, with a high near 67. Next, we take our bi-weekly walk in the park with Sid Brown. Sid gives us updates on winter trail and visitor center closures and the upcoming winter schedules for our three local state parks. Welcome to a walk in the park. It's a beautiful week with great weather to encourage folks to be outside and explore nature. And I have a few things to tell you about to report in the past and for us to look forward to. First of all, a week ago, I'm happy to tell you if you've missed the, the news that the covered bridge at Bridgeport is now open for public use. On November 4th, it was, we had a little ceremony and we welcomed school children who had participated in an art contest that was wrapped in with their curriculum on history. Scott Lay, superintendent of Nevada County Schools, and Tina Corker brought the artist winners to our ceremony, and they were the first uh, people to walk across the newly restored and beautiful covered bridge at Bridgeport. The parking lots are now open. All the construction limits have been taken away, so South Yuba River State Park is uh, back back in operation, at least down at Bridgeport. Independence Trail, the western limb, the part that was affected from the Jones Fire, is still closed and will remain closed throughout the winter. But the trails along the South Yuba River, Independence Trail East and the South Yuba River Trail and the Trail to Hoyts Crossing are all open and in good shape. 
at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. The visitor center should be open every day, even throughout the winter. Now, even if the buildings are closed at Malakoff Diggins, the trails are all open. I think I told you last time the campground is closed for the season, and I believe the cabins also are closed for the season. But there's still plenty to do and see at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. The historic buildings, the trails, and the beautiful um, scenery. And there are still some trees with their fall decor, so it's a really wonderful place to visit. At Empire Mine State Historic Park, we, as of November 1st, have slightly reduced winter hours for the inner core, the historic core, where you go in through the visitor center and gift shop in the mine area and the historic gardens. The winter hours there at Empire are 10 to 4 now instead of 10 to 5. All the trails are open from sunrise to sunset at Empire Mine. I do have to give the somewhat disappointing news. We are not having a special holiday event at Empire Mine this year in 2021. I'll tell you, um, even though we're not talking about holidays on Thanksgiving weekend, we are really encouraging our friends and visitors to participate in the anti-Black Friday event, which we call Opt Outside. So there's many organizations, um, commercial, government, etc., who are sporting the hashtag Opt Outside for the Friday after Thanksgiving, and we welcome you to visit our state parks on that day in particular. It should be a wonderful time. Really a good opportunity to uh, walk off some of that Thanksgiving feasting. Well, I have a few reminders. Please remember, even though we're in the autumn time and the nights are cooler, we please um, encourage and, and request absolutely no fires no outdoor fires in the state parks. Please remember to leave no trace and remember to opt outside for the day after Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next time. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. That's our newscast for this Monday, November 15th. Here's something you want to listen to again or missed a part of an interview? You can always listen to extended versions of our stories and interviews on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned nature and gift store, offering all things birds, feeding supplies, and nature-inspired gifts. Phone orders and curbside service available, bringing people and nature together through birds. Wild Birds Unlimited, Neal Street, Grass Valley, and Sweetland Garden Mercantile, downtown North San Juan, a local ridge depot carrying plumbing supplies, PVC, camping, and fishing gear. Delivery available. Open 9 to 6, close Sundays. 292-9000. Sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. Stick around at 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. 
A movement is afoot to recover traditional African food plants, preserve them, and disseminate the knowledge about how to grow and use them. On this episode of Wings, we hear from Anastasia Churyuk, a plant biologist based in Mombasa, Kenya, who developed the Holler Foundation's Indigenous Plant Program. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Thank you.